it this past spring and summer, it was my privilege to be involved, and most of you here shared in them as well, to be involved in four different weddings. And um, it's a joy and delight to see um, people coming together and pledging their lives and their love to each other. And usually... Um, in the pre-wedding get-togethers that we have, I'll say, do you have special vows that um, you want? Or um, some people like to memorize vows and say them to each other. Or do you want the traditional vows? And um, in most cases, people say they want the traditional vows. Sometimes... Uh, couples will say, um, we've written out these vows and, and um, we, we would like to personalize them in this manner. And that's wonderful as long as um, the vows are biblical. But I've never yet had a couple say, we've written out our vows and, and, um, and, they bring them to me and to have them say, I promised to love and honor you as long as you do what I want and as long as you make me happy. And needless to say, I wouldn't allow those vows anyway. But we, we think that is absurd. I mean, why would anybody even think of anything like that? I mean, it's, uh, it's almost comical if it weren't so serious. But in essence, what John is dealing with here, he has been sharing about God's love for us, that he has adopted us into his family by faith in Christ Jesus, that we have become children of God, and, and God sent his Son, God, in the flesh, and he's given us a new heart, and he's done all this for us, and he said, we ought to love him with all our heart. And in essence, what he's saying is, I want you to, to remove anything that your heart might go after. I want you to promise to forsake all others and cleave to him and him only. Now, this isn't anything new because throughout the Bible... God clearly condemns idolatry. In the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other God before me. And he says, I don't want you to make any graven image. I don't want you to make a, an image of God and bow down and worship that image. I don't want you doing that. And from the very beginning, he comes out against idolatry. And we read in many, many places, we're not going to take the time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. In Galatians chapter 5, where he lists the, the works of the flesh, that when we are in the flesh, when we walk in the flesh, he lists the works of the flesh, and among those, he lists adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness 
and idolatry among the rest of the list that includes uh, jealousies and contentions and drunkenness and murders and so on. But in that, in that list of the works of the flesh, he lists idolatry. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, he tells us that those that will um, be inhabitants of the lake of fire of hell for all eternity are those that are the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. So, God, there's no question about it, that God says that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to commit to Him and Him only. And He condemns idolatry. But the sad truth is, mankind, we as human beings, are prone to worship anything besides God. Our natural heart's bent is that, that we have a strong desire to worship a creature, to worship man, to worship something, and it may be something that we can see, something that we can more clearly identify with. And throughout the ages, people have worshipped everything from the sun to the most um, minuscule animals throughout history. People have worshipped human beings, various individuals, and, and we can see that in our, in our day. But he uses the word here. Keep yourselves from idols. It expresses an urgency. It expresses a decisiveness. It means to guard or defend yourself from idols. Why? Because John knew that as human beings we have a desire in our flesh to worship things other than God. And he said, this is a battle. This is something you need to guard. This is something you need to defend. This is something that requires urgency. Be alert to this. So we think, okay, idolatry. Well, I don't have any statues or anything in my home. What is God's definition of idolatry? And, and we want to just give you um, some things to help us understand idolatry. Mark it down. Every one of us here today. have had and probably have right now idols in our hearts. We are an idolatrous people. And this is something that we need to take seriously. I need to guard my heart against idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. It may be making up our own God as a substitute for the true God, and we see a lot of that in the world today, 
well, my God wouldn't do this and this. Well, that may be true with your God, but is that what the God of the Bible says that he is like? Well, I don't believe God would be this and this. Um, Maybe that's what you believe, but is that accurate? Is that biblical? But it's anything that takes the place of God. Um, In the letter that John wrote, the false teachers were doing just that. They were offering a false God that said you can't know for sure that you have everlasting life. And he was warning them and instructing them not to adopt their, their, their philosophies. But in this realm of anything that takes the place of God, It also involves anything that I look to for my happiness other than God. Now it starts getting a little more personal. Anything that I look to for my happiness other than God. I mentioned um, the privilege of being involved in four various weddings. And at some of the weddings mention, you know, God brings a couple together, but God does not make the husband or the wife the answer to every need that that spouse has. God uses them in our lives in many ways to show us our pride, to show us how evil we are, to show us a a lot of things like that. But He uses them... But God never wants us to get where we are looking to our husband or our wife for what only God can supply. Only God can supply peace. Only God can supply genuine joy. Only God can... Now, God blesses a marriage and He brings peace and joy and God is able to do that. But... It is so easy for us to take our eyes off the giver and to put it on the gift. God gives you good health, and we ought to take care of our bodies, and we ought to eat sufficient amounts of chocolate to take care of that on a regular basis. But there are people that worship their health. Now, it is a good thing to be concerned about your health. And God gives us our health. But do you see how easy it is to slide things over? We we are so prone to lose sight of the giver and to focus on the gift. Or we look for our happiness to our career, to our pursuit of money, to our possessions, to our devotion for leisure and recreation, or as we mentioned, maybe a a human relationship that we value more than we value our relationship with God. The problem with Adam in the Garden of Eden, he valued his relationship with Eve more than he valued his relationship with God. And he set Eve up as a higher precedence than God, and in essence, he walked in idolatry. 
putting our intellect, putting our abilities above God's revelation, anything that I look to for my happiness other than God, anything that I love more than God, We'll get in here in just a moment and look at some questions. But what we love ends up rising to the surface of our hearts. It rises to the surface of our thoughts. It rises to the surface of where we're investing ourselves and so on. Idolatry is anything that I love more than God. It's anything that I have to have. There comes times in our life that I have to have this. It may be Mountain Dew. It may be coffee at 6 a.m. in the morning. I, whatever it is, I have to have it. And if I don't get what I have to have, look out. Life is miserable for me and everybody my life comes in contact with. That's pretty revealing that that's become an idol in our life. I have to have this. Paul, in two separate occasions, in Ephesians 5.5 5 and in Colossians 3.5, said that covetousness and greed are idolatry. I know people that the very first thing they do in the morning is they get up and they check what happened to the stock market yesterday and they're checking their 401k. Did it rise? Where is it at? That's idolatry. Do you understand? We could wake up tomorrow morning and every retirement plan and every 401k could be gone. I mean, completely gone. It could be gone. But God will never be gone. Years ago, a Puritan minister, David Clarkston, said, Soul idolatry is when anything is more valued, more intended, anything more trusted or more loved, or our endeavors are more for any other thing than God. That which we most highly value, we make our God. That which we are most mindful of, we make our God. What is most highly valued, that we are more interested in, we make our God. The difficult part is, idolatry is very hard to, hard to detect. So, we want to give you four questions to help us in examining keeping our heart to guard ourselves against idolatry. Number one, what do I think about? When I am, when I am free to think, what are the things that I think about? And see what the common thread is. Number two, what do I invest in? Not just financially, but my effort for commitment. Am I investing in 
the desire for notoriety, my effort of commitment, my attention, my interest, my energy, my time, my money, all of those things, what am I investing in? What do you become enthused about? What really brings joy to your heart? What do you become enthused about? Hey, I I went garage sailing. Look at this. I got this for 25 cents. Do you understand? This is worth $50. Now, it's not wrong to be a wise steward. But what is it we really get excited about? Hey, my team won! My team took first place! Hey, I did this! Hey, I... Do we ever get excited? Does it ever enthuse our heart? The very word enthuse and means in. The very word itself comes from in God. Thuz, theo, it, the, the origin of the word to be enthused meant to be in God. Why? Because Psalm 1611, write this verse down, it's not in the notes, write this verse down. In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is foundation. That's why we should be enthused about God, because in His presence is fullness of joy. Not when everything is just perfect in my life. I've I've got a job that's paying me way more than I'm worth. My marriage is going wonderful. My kids are wonderful. Um, My recreation plans are wonderful. My teams are in first place. My kids are the all-stars on the team. Doesn't happen, does it? How many of you have even got half of those lined up at the same time? You see, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And this is why God is so concerned about us that He wants us to guard our hearts. So what do I think about? What do I invest in? What do I become enthused about? And then here's the flip side of that one. What do I become angry about? What do you get animated about? See, usually what we get angry about is we've had our little God here, whatever it is, and someone's attacked it. And usually, the most common idol in our hearts is the idol that we have set self up as God. At the root of all of these idols is self. And as an idolater, I have not yielded the throne of my life to the true God. God wants all of our life. We sang, nothing between my soul and the Savior. But as an idolater, I want my will 
and my way, and we try to use God to get what we want. Oh, that yeah, that's a good thing. God will deliver me from an eternity in hell. And whoa, yeah, I want that. And and it's nice to have him in the car with me. It's nice in case I I need some direction, I can turn on the GPS, you know, God's piloting service and he'll give me direction and we treat it just like our GPS. We say, that can't be right. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Turn right here. How many of you have ever done that with your GPS, huh? Be honest. You never disobey your GPSs? Okay, some of you are waking up now, okay, and being honest. But we do that with God. We want Him there, but we want to run our life. And we want Him there for an emergency. We want Him there... For difficult times, but as an idolater, we do not submit to his authority, living under his control. I fear many times that we who claim to be born-again Christians are only trying to use God to get our happiness and make life better for us. If he brings trials, if he brings difficulties... We're often off looking for a new God or complaining to God. See, the dangerous part of idols, they may be hard to detect. Your idol may not be mine. And mine may not be yours. And often we can recognize someone else's idol, but we have a hard time recognizing our own. And I may even hate and despise your idol and wonder, how could they be so foolish to hug that and love that and bring that into their life? And you may look at me and wonder the same. How could he be a partaker of God's grace and be so inconsistent as to love that more than he loves God. And so I condemn you, and you condemn me, and we both condemn someone else. When the reality is, we need to be looking at our own heart and saying, God, show me the idols of my heart. Show me what I love more than you. Show me what I'm looking to for my happiness. Show me what I'm looking to in place of what you. And Lord, show me the idols of my heart. I've had someone say to me once, what kind of God would say... You only serve me. What kind of egotistical God would say that? Now, from a human standpoint, perhaps you could see that, although I have a difficulty seeing that, because we expect in love and exclusivity in love, as we mentioned at the beginning, in marriage. But the reason God says you shall have no other gods before you 
And to keep yourselves from idols is because he loves us so much and he knows that every idol will fail. And he says, I don't want you to come to a point in life where what you have lived your life for completely fails you. And he says, I don't want you to have any other God in your life because I am the one true God and everything else will fail you. I've, I've seen it, heard it often, but, but one that comes to mind. Dion Sanders was a uh, very famous and familiar football player. And um, he won, he won, I don't know, did he win the championship in college? Does anybody know? Anyway, when he won the Super Bowl, he said, I woke up the next morning after winning the Super Bowl. And I said, is this all there is to life? You know, they never show you them the next morning or the next week. This is the happiest day of my life. But this is what they live for. This is what they got. But only Christ can satisfy. And Deion Sanders says that was instrumental in helping point him toward Jesus Christ. I don't care if you get the job of your dreams. I don't care if you're able to retire at 32 years old. I talked to a, a, a man just a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know. He's in his mid-40s. He said, man, I, I sold my business. I retired. All I wanted to do was hunt and fish and play golf. And he's bought up all kinds of property, prime hunting property, prime, prime fishing. He said, I did that for two years. And he said, I was sick of it. He said, I had to go back and get a job. He said, I'm back doing what I was doing before. I know some of you are thinking, what a fool. I'd like to try it. I'd never get sick of it. I know you're thinking that right now. What God is saying, anything you build your life, if I could just have that, I'd be happy. God is saying, everything besides God will fail you. If I could just get this, this wonderful marriage, someday it's going to be gone. If I could just get this money, if I could, if just uh, all my kids would be just wonderful, someday it's all going to fail us. But in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So the reason God is telling us, don't love anything more than me, because it's going to let you down. The Lord wants to set us free from these false loves so that He can have us to Himself and He can shower us with His blessings and His riches. And what John is saying, after all of this that Christ has done for us, don't let your heart go after something else. 
be exclusively for God. After all, that is what it means to love someone. I really believe the sanctification process. Okay, a person accepts Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. They're a babe in Christ. And we call it a growing process. They grow in Christ. We call it a sanctification process. That that the Holy Spirit of God is work molding, shaping us to the image of God. I believe much of that sanctification process is God taking our gods and putting them down and saying, no, you can't trust in that. And then our heart goes after something else and God says, okay, no, I know you're going to be greatly disappointed in this. I want you to love me because I am the only one that will never fail you, God's saying. And he brings all these things. Um, We really need to remove this out of their life. And we go, God, why did you do this? I look back over my life and I see many things that were gods in my life. I didn't know them. They were good things. It started early on. Wrestling was a god in my life. And so... God allowed my elbow my senior year before the conference tournament to be dislocated. And the Holy Spirit was saying, who's the God of your life? Early on, for many years, right here, this is something good. Building godly families. That was the motto of our church. That's a good thing. Where is God? Building godly families. That's not the end of all to build godly families. It's to build God's name. It isn't just about godly families. Don't get me wrong. I'm for godly families. But you know what? We get so busy with this that we don't fellowship with God. It becomes a God in our life. And God says, okay, where is me in this? God God is for godly families, but He's for godly families that worship God. See, there's, there's many good things. Church can become a God. The most important thing is not Grace Baptist Church or any church. The most important thing is God. And we can make an idol out of out of a person, we can make an idol out of a husband, a wife, we can make an idol out of money, we can make an idol out of church, we can make, and we do over and over, make idols out of ourselves. What is it the Lord's putting His finger on in your heart today as an idol? Are you a mother that loves your children more than Jesus? Are there forms of entertainment and hobbies and possessions that you feel as though you can't live without? Scripture says that you do not really love God if we love something more than Him. He that loves father or mother or lands or houses more than me, God said, is not worthy of me. There are a multitude of idols which Satan is glad to provide for anyone interested. 
But John is saying, since Christ is the true God, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from false gods. God set the Israelites free so they could not celebrate their freedom, so they could celebrate, serve, and worship Him. It's all about Him. William Cowper wrote in a poem that's been turned into a song, but he wrote, The dearest, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from your throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. But you notice what he said? The dearest idol I have known. And these idols have ways of just drawing our affections and it becomes very hard for us to lay them on the altar. Very hard for us to give them to God. The dearest idol I have known, whatever it may be, Lord, help me to tear it from Your throne. It's His throne in our heart. If we're a child of God, it's His throne. He's the one that ought to be on it. He has the right to that. Help me to remove it from Your throne and worship only Thee. Are you willing today to say, God, show me what I love more than You. Show me what I'm looking to that is taking the place of You. Show me what I'm looking to for my happiness. Lord, show me my idols. Heavenly Father, I pray that in each of our hearts today, You would, in a personal manner, put Your finger on what it is we really love. And Lord, help us to see that Your love that motivates this. That You want us to know Your presence and the fullness of joy that comes by loving You first and foremost. And Lord, I pray that You would help us, however strong the grip may be, of our idols, that we would remove them from the throne of our heart and that truly You would be the love of our heart. Lord, I know when we love You first and most, it will make us a better husband and wife. It will make us a better father and mother. It will make us a better neighbor. And Lord, I pray that today we would be broken by our love for other things, for other people, for other items other than You. Lord, only Your Spirit can do that work, and we ask You to do it thoroughly in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.